From June 13th to June 15th, 2023, the Human Rights Foundation's community came together to celebrate the 15th edition of the Oslo Freedom Forum at the Oslo Concertus in Norway. Guests from all corners of the globe joined together for a masterclass on the year's most pressing human rights issues and to brainstorm new ways to expand freedom worldwide. Our theme, Celebrating Solidarity, honored the spirit of unity, mentorship, and connection that the Oslo Freedom Forum has fostered over the last decade and a half. The 2023 program featured inspiring talks by global activists, scholars, and journalists, including from Bolivia to Swaziland to Egypt, Ukraine, Palestine, and the Uyghur region. These are their stories, united around the common recognition that when we stand in solidarity with the brave dissidents and human rights defenders who are challenging authoritarianism around the world, we can unravel tyranny together. Welcome to Dissidents and Dictators, a series of conversations by the Human Rights Foundation dedicated to exposing and challenging authoritarianism around the world. Good morning. Uh, so today I want to talk to you about the weakness of strong states. Uh, but before we get to that, I have to say a little bit about where I stand. Uh, I regard myself as a classical liberal. This is not liberal in the European sense of a kind of center-right pro-market uh, party. Uh, it's not liberal in the American sense of being left of center. It's classical liberalism which is a doctrine that I think almost everybody in this room actually shares, if you believe in universal human rights, because liberals believe in the essential equality of all human beings, that no particular group of human beings defined by race, by ethnicity, by gender, should be raised above uh, any other group because everybody is entitled to equal dignity. And liberals believe that that dignity needs to be protected by a rule of law, by checks and balances, on strong executive power. That's what I mean when I say I'm a liberal. But liberalism has been under attack, under very serious attack in recent years, and it comes from various sources. The uh, most obvious one is the geopolitical threat that is posed by these two great powers, China and Russia, that are fully consolidated authoritarian powers. And they've been arguing that liberalism is an obsolete doctrine, that the West is in terminal decline. They, Western governments, democratic governments can't make decisions, they can't benefit their own societies, uh, and therefore they represent a wave of the future. Uh, and we've seen the direct threat that they pose to democracy around the world in Russia's invasion of Ukraine last February uh, 24th. Uh, but there's other threats as well within liberal democracies because we've seen the rise of populist nationalist parties, beginning in my own country in the United States with the election of Donald Trump and the continuing threat represented by his version of America First. We've seen this in India with Prime Minister Modi. We've seen this in Hungary with Viktor Orban. There's a long list of populist groups that have used the legitimacy conferred by democratic elections to try to dismantle the liberal constraints uh, on their power. They all want to be strong men. And we've seen uh, the decline of democracy in the aggregate. Freedom House that tracks this in its annual Freedom in the World surveys has noted that for 17 consecutive years, 
there's been a decline in the aggregate number of democracies, and there's a qualitative change as well because this decline has been affecting the world's largest democracies, the United States uh, and India. And we've seen setbacks in countless other countries that you're very uh, familiar with, in, uh, in Myanmar, in Tunisia, uh, in Nicaragua, in uh, El Salvador. You have strongmen leaders that are uh, vying for power. So I want to do a couple of things. I want to, first of all, explain why it's actually better to live in a liberal society, liberal defined the way that I just did. And there's really basically three reasons that I think have endured over the three centuries that liberalism has existed. The first is a pragmatic uh, reason that liberalism is a way of governing over diversity. It's a way, you know, it, it originated in the middle of the 17th century after the European wars of religion when Protestants and Catholics were killing each other for a 150-year period, and liberals said, look, we shouldn't argue over uh, ultimate ends. We should just agree to tolerate one another and let each of us uh, pick our own, you know, religious uh, confession. And since then, that's been the way that liberal societies have bought peace. And you can see the threat to that in a place like India now, which was created as a liberal republic in the 1940s, but is now being turned into a Hindu, uh, a country with a Hindu national identity, which then excludes, you know, at least the 200 million Indians who are not Hindu, who are Muslim, right? And that is going to lead to a lot of violence. So that's a pragmatic reason. Second reason has to do with uh, the moral argument for uh, liberalism, which is that all of us as human beings are equal in the sense that we all have moral autonom autonomy. We can distinguish between right and wrong, and that fundamental ability to make choices uh, is the fundamental right that a liberal society uh, protects. So it elevates the dignity and recognizes the dignity of individuals by giving them rights. Then finally, the third justification is an economic one. Liberals also protect the right to own private property, to uh, engage in commercial transactions, and therefore, historically, liberal societies have been the richest societies in the world, and even, even China. So China is in no way a liberal political uh, entity, but it adopted uh, an openness to the market beginning in 1978, and its remarkable economic growth since then has been due to the fact that they accept something like property rights and the freedom to uh, transact. So those are three basic reasons why I think liberal societies are better. The problem uh, also exists on the authoritarian side because they are not as strong as they seem to be from the outside, right? That, uh, and you can see this in the things that have happened just in the past year to Russia and China. In a liberal society, you limit power by spreading it out, by giving it to other institutions, by creating checks and balances, and ultimately by requiring the consent of your whole society before you make an important decision. What did Putin do before the invasion of Ukraine? If you remember, he was sitting at the end of a 30-foot table from his defense minister, you know, his foreign minister, because he was so afraid of any kind of human contact. He obviously did not consult broadly, even within his own elite, as to the wisdom of invading Ukraine. He certainly had no idea what was happening in Ukraine itself and the way that a Ukrainian nation had been developing over the past decade in ways that he simply didn't understand. And as a result, 
he made one of the biggest uh, mistakes that I've seen a leader make in my lifetime, launching this catastrophic war that has actually cemented Ukrainian nationhood, has grievously weakened Russia with consequences that we uh, at this point can't really anticipate. If you look at China, there is a similar uh, mistake made by Xi Jinping uh, over his zero COVID policy. This is not a policy that uh, was widely discussed within the Chinese elite because there's really only one decision maker uh, there. That is uh, Xi Jinping. And because he was so associated with the policy, they kept it going for much longer than uh, it made any sense to do until the country uh, erupted in uh, protests over this. And so decision-making in a concentrated uh, authoritarian regime is of low quality in the long run. They don't make decisions. They don't make good decisions. And furthermore, they are not legitimate. Iran is another example of a country that, uh, where something like 60% of all of the college graduates uh, in that society that still remains a pretty well-educated one are female. Uh, and yet you have this centralized authoritarian dictatorship uh, that deliberately gives women a lower status than it does men. And although the protests have been repressed, violently repressed over the past few months, the ones that began with Masa Amini's uh, killing, uh, that society is seething and the regime's legitimacy is uh, extremely low. And so I think that it's important for people that believe in liberal democracy and are struggling against authoritarian regimes to remember that there are these fundamental weaknesses in that authoritarian model. You cannot judge their performance against that of a liberal democracy in any short time period, like a decade. It really does have to do with the long-term sustainability uh, of that model. And I think that liberal societies, once they get their act together, uh, uh, are much more sustainable in that sense. I don't, for a minute, think that uh, our liberal democracies are blameless in the troubles and the criticisms that they have received. They have not been decisive. They've not delivered security, peace, economic growth, jobs, all of these other things that their citizens uh, expect. They've not dealt well, in particular, with the problem of inequality created by, uh, in a way, this globalized liberal international order that we've created, and they need to do much better in that respect if they're going to head off the kinds of populist reactions that we've seen. But that's the advantage of living in a democracy. Uh, you can change course. So I just want to conclude uh, leaving you with a little bit of optimism about uh, the, the relative strengths and weaknesses of these types of systems. At the moment, there's one decisive fight that's going on. It's the one that is occurring uh, in the south and the east of Ukraine right now. And the outcome of that battle is going to have a big impact, not just on Ukraine and Russia, but on the world as a whole, because it's going to demonstrate whether this strong state can actually get away with this kind of naked aggression. So long live democracy, Slava Ukraini, and thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Frank. Thank you so much. I, I have a, a couple of questions related to your talk. Um, you, 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 you discuss uh, the issue of weak, the weaknesses of fully authoritarian regimes. 
How can activists use both the weak legitimacy component and the poor decision-making in, in their activism? How, how can they, they weaponize this against the dictatorships? Well, so this is a really tough problem because a strong state looks very strong and it has a lot of uh, repressive potential. And so, you know, from day to day, month to month, uh, there may not be openings uh, to do things. But if this weakness, as I've described, is the case, there will be an opening at some time. There'll be some exogenous event, a crisis, a pandemic, a war, uh, uh, you know, unhappiness about economic conditions that will intervene, and then uh, there will be regime instability. We don't know what's going to happen in Russia if they're beaten by the Ukrainians uh, in this war. Uh, so there will be opportunities, I think, for change in the future. You know, a lot, a lot of people think that this uh, conflict and this confrontation between Russia and, and the free world, which is what's happening in Ukraine, is merely just uh, a border dispute or an issue that is historic. Or Would you, would you agree that um, what's going on there from a geopolitical perspective is the single most important confrontation that we've had since the Cold War. And whether or not Ukraine is able to defeat uh, the Putin regime is going to determine the struggle against authoritarianism for the next 50 years. No, absolutely. I mean, Putin says this himself. You know, he didn't like the entire uh, world order that emerged after the collapse of the former Soviet Union. He said that that collapse was the greatest tragedy of the 20th century, and he really wants to reverse that, and it means that what happens in Ukraine isn't just going to stay in Ukraine. It's going to have a, uh, either an energizing impact on uh, Democrats around the world, or it's going to confirm this authoritarian narrative that they're strong, they know what they're doing, and they can reshape the world as they see fit. Well, so, so again, I just want to underline that th this struggle is the single most important one in our lifetimes, you know, post-Cold War. Absolutely. Now, you mentioned just now, when you were talking about the weaknesses, you mentioned the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So we, we could argue that in China, uh, the zero-tolerance policy was weak decision-making, um, but it wasn't that unpopular. And Chinese propaganda and Chinese disinformation um, has infected the country such that the people of China think, oh, the government knew what it was doing, as opposed to what we see on the outside. They were, they were comparing the, the, the death numbers. They were using all sorts of disinformation about what COVID was doing in the West. How do you respond to, to that criticism of your theory? Well, first of all, I don't know that we really know what the people of China think. You know, at the time of the protests, it was quite remarkable how widespread they were and how bitter people were about the kind of government they had to live under. But there are many other weaknesses in China right now. Basically, uh, their growth rate is not going to be 5% or 3%. It's probably going to be 0, 1%. 20% of Chinese college graduates today are unemployed. You know, you've not seen this kind of economic distress. All of the local governments in China are basically bankrupt, uh, and they don't have the revenues to keep up basic social services. And so, you know, Ch uh, Xi Jinping seems to actually still believe in some version of Maoism. He wants this, the Communist Party con to control the economy, and this is not a formula for great success uh, in the way that we've seen China succeed since 1978. Well, let's hope that it, that the CCP collapses. That would be great for humanity. Okay. So, thank you, Frank. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks a lot.